Welcome to the Growth Equation Academy. This week, we're going to be talking about rest, which is an extension of the stress plus rest growth equation that we introduced two episodes ago. So if you haven't yet, catch up there and then let's dive into rest. So the structure for this conversation that makes the most sense is to talk about rest as micro, medium, and macro. So micro, these are the breaks that you're taking throughout the day. Medium, we're going to spend some time going deep on sleep, how to bridge days. And then macro, weekends, vacations, longer breaks. Finally, we're going to talk about why most stuff sold is quote-unquote recovery, doesn't really work, and what does in terms of the hacks that were often peddled. So starting with micro. Last week, we said that research shows that the ideal amount of time to engage in stress, whether it's your mind or your body, is somewhere between 20 minutes and two hours. You want to break those periods of deep focus work or physical exertion up with breaks. The time of the break should mirror the time of the work. Now, that doesn't mean if you work for an hour, you should rest for an hour. What it means is that breaks normally start around five minutes and work all the way up to 30. So if you put in a deep focus block of work for about 25, 30 minutes, you'll probably only need a five-minute break. If you put in a monster two-hour block of work, be it physical or psychological, the amount of rest that you're going to need in between is greater, probably getting up towards that 30-minute number. So it's not just enough to take a break. What you do during these breaks is also really important. Yes, you can't just go on your phone and start scrolling because you know what? That That's what I was about to do when you started talking, Steve. <laughs> well, that would be a minor stress. That would not be a break, right? So what should we do if we're going to take a break? Well, one of the best things you can do is actually get up and go for a walk, okay? When we go for a walk, we're occupying part of our brain that you know is almost on automatic taking the walk and it allows part of our brain to kind of wander and think about other things or notice the nature. And a wonderful Stanford study, they took um they took people and they had them do a difficult challenge and then they got them up sent some to walk through the office, some to walk outside and they they found that when the participants came back and then we're tasked with a creativity challenge to come up with creative uses of different words. What they found is the ones who went and walked in nature had a huge spike in creativity. Why? Because when we go for a walk, especially outside, it recharges our ability to focus. It actually, in other research, has shown that it resets neurochemicals like dopamine and adrenaline, and allows us to kind of regain our arousal and attention abilities much in the same way that if we were doing a hard interval workout, we would take a rest break in between to recharge our energy levels and get our you know, heart rate back down so that we can go again. The mind works in, in the same way. So one of the best things you can do for a rest is to get up and take a walk. And, you know, we could talk about study after study, but I think most people know this intuitively, right? So if you're working really hard on something and you're going to take a 10-minute break and you call a close friend to discuss a super serious issue with them, or you get down the rabbit hole of reading about terrible geopolitical happenings, 
When you come back to the work, you're probably not going to feel very recharged. If anything, you might just feel more tired, more stuck. Whereas if you go and wander around aimlessly for about five, 10 minutes and you come back to the work, you're probably going to feel a lot better. So we don't want to get too prescriptive here and say, hey, this is the silver bullet thing. You must take a walk and it must be outside. I think that the key thing to take away is it's got to be something that dampens the arousal of what you're doing. So if you're training really hard with your body, going for a fast-paced walk might not make sense. It might actually make sense to hop on social media for a little while. If you're using your brain really hard, probably doesn't make sense to do anything that's going to require you to think. might make sense to go for a jog. So yes, there are instances when the stress level is so high that even that kind of task switching doesn't work. If you're training to be an Olympic athlete and you're running the hardest intervals that demand so much psychological attention, and then you try to go to read like, you know, Kant or Jeremy Bentham, your whole mind-body system is going to explode from overload. Same thing's true on the intellectual side. If you're writing, you know, an essay that you want to have published in the Atlantic, and during your break, you go do a super hard ball-busting interval workout, that's probably not going to recharge you either. So it's about finding some kind of switch that uses a different part of your mind-body system or allows the whole thing to shut down before returning to hard work. Um, That's just about all there is to say for these breaks. Again, duration, anywhere from 5 to 30 minutes. Think about mimicking the amount of stress. So the greater the amount of acute stress, the greater the amount of acute rest. So that's how you get through the day. Most of my coaching clients... What we tend to do is we tend to shoot for two to three blocks of deep work. Each of those blocks can be between 60 to 90 minutes, and then the rest of the time in between is rest. In that context, sometimes rest can be a meeting with other people, because generally in meetings, there's not much deep thinking happen. It can be a walk around the office. It can be going to the coffee shop for a coffee, what have you. It is amazing how much work you can get done in just three to five hours if those three to five hours are deep focus, blocks of quote-unquote stress, followed by rest and recovery. So let's zoom out a little bit. We've talked about, okay, the five to 30-minute breaks. Now let's talk about one of the most potent rest and recovery and restorative things that you can do, which is sleep. Now on the micro, we have naps, which (laughs) kind of fit into that five to 30-minute level, which can kind of restore you and et cetera, et cetera. But zooming back out a little bit from day to day, the best thing that you can do to restore yourself and get ready to take on the next challenge is get enough sleep. Now, what is enough sleep for you? Well, it depends. But the best way we found is if you can take some time to wake up without an alarm that will for a couple days and note how long you slept, that will give you a good indicator. What does sleep do? Why is it so beneficial? Well, from a physical side, Sleep is when our recovery hormones like testosterone, human growth hormone, and others are released. So your body is actually doing the repairing and recovering and building those muscles up uh, stronger after you went through the stress. And then from a learning standpoint, it's when our body goes through uh, processing memories, deciding what to keep and what we learned um, that day. So it's this nice kind of physical, psychological, neuroplasticity type work going on. 
There was actually a wonderful study that I, I think is worth highlighting here, Brad, that found that when trying to learn something, if people spent, let's say, I think it was four hours total in the day, you know, studying it and then, you know, took a test or they spent two hours studying it, then went to sleep and woke up and then spent another two hours, the group with sleep in the middle did much better on the test because it allowed them to deeply ingrain what they were learning. They, they went into their kind of long-term memory there. So what does that mean? Sleep is just kind of the best thing you can do for recovery. So don't short change yourself. Yeah. I like to think of it as the stress gives you the chance of growth and having a positive adaptation. But if you don't sleep, it's not going to happen. So if you read and study really hard for a period of time, but you're not sleeping, you're not going to retain very much of the information. If you train your body really hard for a period of time, you don't sleep. Same deal. If you play an instrument really hard, you're not sleeping. You're not going to get the full benefit. So we like to think of the hard work is what's giving us the growth, but it's so often actually the opposite. It's during periods of rest, particularly sleep, that our brains rewire, as Steve said, for cognitive growth and that hormonally our bodies release all these great chemicals that makes us stronger, faster, more efficient. So the last thing that I'll say about sleep is there are some very basics that you've probably heard. The first is aim for eight hours. Well, like all population averages, this is a bell curve. It is very true that some people do great on seven hours or even six hours of sleep. It is also very true that some people do really well on nine or 10 hours of sleep. There's no magic number. Research does show that once you start to get under seven hours, things are quite concerning. There are some people with a gene that quote unquote makes them a short sleeper. That's fine, but it's about 1% of the population. So odds are that's not you. That's just how odds work. In the other direction, unless you're an athlete who's training really hard, once you're looking at more than 10 hours of sleep, that could be a sign that something's going on with your health. Now, I know a lot of people that listen to this podcast are very performance-minded. They're probably pushing very hard professionally. They might be trying to run a 2.30 marathon. They might have a bunch of young kids running around. If you fall into that bucket and you're sleeping 10 hours, nine and a half hours a night and wanting to nap, society tells you, well, you should be working harder. But science says, like, no shit, you need 12 hours of sleep because you're really pushing hard in multiple areas. And that's okay if you can get it. Hi, y'all. The Growth Equation is 100% member-supported and independent. We don't take sponsorships because we find so many of the products and services that sponsor podcasts like ours simply don't work. So instead, we have an exclusive membership program. For the cost of a cup of coffee, you get access to deep dives on everything we talk about in this very show. How-to guides, special podcasts, signed copies of our books, a live monthly discussion group, and a live mastermind group with other members. To learn more and sign up, visit www.patreon.com slash the growth equation. It's a win-win. You support the sustainability of the show and you get so much in return. So the other big thing about sleep is what I'd say are the quote unquote basic rules of sleep. And they're basic because they're really the only things that are proven to work. And I'm going to list these. Steve, please fill in any gaps. The first is that you want to try to move your body throughout the day. 
that completely helps all your neurochemicals reset, helps your chrono um, clock, and allows you to be tired when you ought to be tired. The second thing is you want to limit caffeine in the afternoon. You also want to limit alcohol. No more than two drinks for men, no more than one drink for women. You want to have your room as dark as possible, and you want to have your room cool. Why cool? Because throughout the night, particularly when you're falling asleep, your body temperature lowers. So a cool room, instead of your body having to fight against your environment, harmonizes with your environment. And perhaps the most important thing uh, in today's world is really trying to minimize screens before you go to bed. Now, there's some research that shows that blue light is really, really bad for melatonin, which is the sleep hormone. And I buy that. But I think that even more than the actual blue light coming from the screen, what drives insomnia after screen use is the content on the screen. So if you're watching the news about you know riots at the Capitol and you think you're going to fall asleep easily after, you've got to have ice in your veins for that to work. If you're on work emails, stressing out about all the things that you have to do the next day or worrying about falling behind, again, good luck. If you're on Twitter looking at whatever interesting debate is happening, that's going to arouse your brain. Or if you're reading the comments and you're getting lambasted, it's going to make you feel like crap. These are not good things to set you up for sleep. If, on the other hand, you're watching The Crown or some documentary on Netflix, sure, you're staring at a screen, but most people don't have nearly as hard of a time falling asleep when they're doing that than if they're you know, doing some of these other things, cranking out work emails, what have you. And the final thing I'll say is don't fix it if it's not broken. So if you can have an espresso after dinner, but you sleep great and you feel charged, then you probably just have some Italian in your blood. Keep having that espresso after dinner. It's not about being perfect. What it is about is if you're not sleeping and you don't know why, start with this list. There's only two things I'd add on there, Brad. Uh, first one is something that you hinted at there, which is don't stress about sleep right? To the degree that it, it will impact things. I think a lot of times people hear, oh, I need more sleep. What's the natural inclination? Especially if you're a pusher, you go get one of those sleep trackers and you start tracking your sleep and you say, oh man, like I only got five and a half hours. I needed seven. And all of a sudden you've stressed yourself out. And there's a lot of good research that actually shows that having a sleep tracker can actually, um, you know, make your sleep worse because it increases your awareness of it. And then you stress about it because you're now measuring it. The other thing that I'd say in there, if we're looking at, okay, what else can we do to help aid our sleep? You touched on blue light. The only things I'll add in there is that um, light can be a powerful uh, reset to kind of your mind body system. If you get up in the morning and you want to reset and, and you're having trouble uh, sleeping, go outside and, you know, be in the sun early in the morning, right? From anywhere up to about 9 a.m. Why you have this nice sensitive period where if your retina, your eyes see enough light, that is what tunes its kind of melatonin and cortisol release, really cortisol release which then kind of determines when you're going to get sleepy at the end of the day. The other thing that I'd, I'd say is that in addition to screen time at night, which Brad talked about, which you, know, you want to minimize to a degree depending on the content, 
after about 11 p.m. midnight, there's another kind of sensitive period in there until about 4 a.m. where even small levels of bright, intense blue light can uh, then suppress some of the hormones we talked about. Uh, it can actually suppress dopamine, which is related to drive, and inhibit learning and impair our sleep. So it's not obsessing over those things. It's it's just taking into consideration some of these natural uh, biological mechanisms, which then you can be aware of and take advantage of to put yourself in the best position to get the sleep and recovery you need. Yeah, I put it really simply, and I've written about this before. The first rule of sleep is do everything possible to get good sleep. The second rule of sleep is don't freak out if you're not getting good sleep. Because often it's the very freaking out that then prevents you from falling asleep the next night. Um, or like you develop a complex and it even gets harder and harder to sleep. If you are someone that suffered from long-term chronic insomnia, there are so many great resources. Over the last few years, um, sleep science has evolved. There are special cognitive behavioral therapists that specialize in sleep. Um, and sleep medicine is a field that's progressing very, very fast because people do have conditions like sleep apnea, REM disorders. Um, so if you try all these things and you're still not making progress, then we'd highly recommend that you seek out some of these resources. So that's sleep. We talked about the very micro breaks throughout the day, sleep bridging the day. Now let's talk about what we call long-term macro breaks, weekends, vacations, off seasons, sabbaticals, periods of time that are more than just bridging days where it's really important to rest, reflect, and recover. So I'll start. In the corporate world, these are often called retreats. And this is when you'll take an executive team, you'll take them out of the office, they'll go somewhere, and they'll really have time to um, recharge physically, but also to do that reflection work that often there's no time and space for during the hustle and bustle of a traditional day in a traditional office. So again, it's not like during these retreats, they're just holding hands and singing kumbaya, in a traditional workplace setting, there's often a lot of strategy, big picture thinking, reflection, the very kind of stuff that doesn't happen during the week. Steve, what does that look like in an athletic sense? Actually looks uh, very similar. We have um, on the macro level, right? You have off periods or days off within a season. And then at the end of the season, you have a long break, which we talked about at the you know, in our other episode, which is kind of to allow for this full restorative um, period in here. And I think it's really important. A lot of athletes or a lot of individuals, even the workplace, like it scheduled. But I like to do it where you have it scheduled, but you have the flexibility to move that around as you need it. So your rest on the macro level is responsive to the stress that you put in in there. It's important to have it scheduled so that you have that built in so that you just don't fall off the face of the earth with too much, uh, too much stress. But having periodic periods where you have downtime, recovery, time to get away from the email and everything you're doing on the computer, having that period allows you to come back for more. And then the one other thing that I'd say that we... Um, skipped over a little bit on the micro, which is important, is what I'd call social recovery, which is one of my favorite types of recovery because it's also the simplest and I think the most fun. 
which is we tend to think of recovery, especially in the athletic world, but also in the corporate world as, oh, we have to do all these things. We have to get the sleep. We have to get our nap. We have to get our um, our food, our recovery shake, et cetera. But really, recovery is a transition. It is transitioning from the stress, the high arousal, the high stimulus that we talked about to a state where you're able to absorb have low stress hormones, able to take things in. What's the best way to do that? Well, research kinds of backs it up and experience tells us as well, go hang out with friends, right? Go have a conversation, have a beer with your buddies. Why? Because that social connection releases all these great feel-good hormones like oxytocin, which create bonding, which then decrease stress hormones, which puts us in a place where we are truly recovering. So use this as permission to after your work time, go spend some quality time, have some good conversations over food and maybe a couple drinks and that will actually set you up to perform better next time. But not too many drinks because then that'll interfere with your sleep. Um, I say that jokingly, but I also say that seriously with there's a lot of paradox in these topics and I think what often happens is people hear something and they assume that it's all or nothing or that it has to be super rigid. Whereas with all of the principles in human performance, anyone that is in good faith, intellectually honest, coaching real people in the real world on these realizes that they're just that. They're tools. And you want to be adaptable with the tools. Now, it's not to say you should throw everything aside and say, hey, I'm going to get wasted and if I don't sleep, whatever. But it's also not to say that I need to, you know, obsess in the name of optimal recovery. Um, and so many products and services sell optimal recovery. But I would argue that by trying to have optimal recovery, it's defeating the purpose of recovery itself, right? The whole point of rest is to come down from stress. So once you start stressing about rest, you've completely like thrown the baby out with the bathwater. Yeah, couldn't agree more. So why don't we summarize things up and look at zoom back out and say, okay, we've got the growth equation, which is stress plus rest equals growth. We've talked about the stress, having to have deep focused work, periods where we're um, spending, a, we're ha you're showing our attention to the work that we're doing, right? focused on it, just manageable challenge, about a 7 out of 10 on how difficult it is. And then to adapt, to grow, we need the other part, which is rest on the micro. That means breaks, like walks, spending time with, with friends. On the zoomed out level, that means sleep, vacations, periods where you're stepping away from the work. It's when you combine those two things, that stress plus rest, you get that adaptation, learning, growth, and more than anything, allows you to come back and do more of the work instead of this kind of grind it out mentality. So if stress plus rest equals growth gives you the bird's eye view of how to grow, how to make progress in various areas of your life, next week, we're going to jump into more of what we call the ground level. Things like routines. How do you actually prime yourself to perform in the moment. 
So with that, we'll see you next week where we'll be talking about routines. Until then, um, stress hard and rest harder. Thanks for listening to the Growth Equation podcast. Learn more about our work and find show notes at our website, www.thegrowtheq.com. Follow us on Twitter, at B. Stahlberg and at Steve Magnus. And if you like what you listen to, please subscribe, rate, and review the podcast as this goes a long way in helping it reach others.